Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and today I want to have all of us support Israel and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. There is so much uh, strife and hardship going on right now. And if you've opened the newspaper, you, if you're like me, you're so saddened. And it's, it's really hard to look at what's going on. Joining me today is Dr. Mitch Glazer. He is the president of Chosen People Ministries in New York. And Mitch, it's so nice to have you back on. I'm sorry about what's happening in Israel. Thank you, Bill, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. It's so disturbing. I get sick to my stomach, and I know uh, we're not even seeing the worst of it, are we, on the news? No. The uh, unfortunate, I mean, our missionaries have relationships with a lot of soldiers, of course, and mm-hmm. a lot of, some of them are soldiers, and they have a lot of relationships with uh, actually some of the villages uh, where things happened, like Sederot and Ofakim, these are all uh, um, places where you actually have a lot of elderly Russian Jews who live there and and some more religious people. And so we have a lot of deep relationships there. So unfortunately, we know some of the backstory. And it, it's absolutely horrible and gruesome and in, inhuman. Oh, indeed it is. Now, Mitch, you've got... Uh, the the new Tel Aviv Messianic Center. Um, w- what is going on there? Yeah, um, we're we're excited because at the same time that we're going through all of this terrible uh, stuff, we have a growing Messianic movement within Israel, particularly among young adults, mm-hmm. post post army people. And what what really killed us is that some of the young adults who were killed about 270 of them or so uh when they were at what was really a new age festival uh, they call it a music festival but it was really a new age kind of music festival and a lot of a lot of those kids are between 22 and 28 so or just a little younger these this is your there are some pre-army but a lot of post-army young adults were murdered and that's been our target audience because these kids are so open to the gospel and many of their friends are, are coming to faith. At least I have some confidence in my own heart that at least some or maybe even many of these young adults, because they are they're kind of a searching group of people that were killed mm-hmm. and uh, that hopefully many of them, maybe they even came to some of our concerts at the uh, Tel Aviv Center uh, anyway, we have a rented one, and across the street we just bought one, and it's four thousand square feet. We're in the process of renovating it, but of course the renovation is slowing down for probably at least a, a month or two mm-hmm. uh, because uh, because of the war. But we're dealing with the movement, a movement of the Holy Spirit among Israeli young adults that I've never seen in my lifetime. And I believe that God is really doing something. And 
it's just another reason why I'm so sick over what happened. Yeah. Mitch, because I don't know if a lot of people understand um, what's going on in the in the Middle East. What what is in uh, what is occupied over there that they're fighting over? Uh, talk about the hatred that goes on and the terrorism and what is the objective? Who is trying to do what to whom and why? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think there's a lot of similarity between the groups. So Hamas, um, Hezbollah, which is in the north. Um, some the Palestinian Authority to some, to some degree, uh, Iran, um, uh, some of the more well, a, a lot of the Iranian leaders, um, they have a uh, sort of a view of Islam. It's not even classical Islam. It is a far more even violent view of Islam. It is eschatological. They believe that. Um, as the day gets closer to the uh, to the destruction of the world, that they actually need to participate in it, and so it's it's really significant. And then, in general, uh, there's a belief that Jerusalem and the land of Israel belongs to Muhammad because, in a night vision, his feet touched the Temple Mount, and because of that, there is a whole uh, it's it's almost like in a, a, a radical passion to possess the land of Israel. And that's something that the Iranian Shiites have, and that's something that Hezbollah has, it, has and something Palestinian Authority, although they keep it under wraps a little bit more. But certainly the people in Gaza, Hamas, is a radical fundamentalist, is Islamists, Muslims, but they have a very violent view. Uh, they they are fiercely committed to jihad, and it's it's and they're committed to taking over Israel because that is it rightfully belongs to Muhammad. It belongs to Islam. It doesn't belong to the Jews, and the Jews therefore become the enemies, not just of them but the enemies of Islam. And that is justification for jihad, murder, rape, torture, mm. exactly what you saw happen. Mm -hmm. They are, they feel they are religiously justified to do what they did. Well, it's, it's what I'm, what I've been watching and seeing in the news is, you know, what you just described is helps me understand um, more accurately what, is happening and it's um it's devastating now do you know how many um jews have died so far uh the best number that we have right now are 1200 wow wow and of that 1200 about 250 to 300 maybe are soldiers okay uh and that number uh has gone up a little bit but the, the, the major difference between this and various other wars with Lebanon or even wars with Gaza and, and humanly speaking, um, people compare it to the Holocaust. And in, in a sense, you can compare it to the Holocaust. And I'm not minimizing the Holocaust by the comparison or minimizing the destruction of, uh, of uh, Armenians. Um, 
as well, who had their own quote unquote Holocaust. Uh, this, this is not a war in that soldiers are killing fellow soldiers. This is terrorists committing jihad on innocent civilians who have become victims. It is, it's a genocide, Bill. Mm-hmm. It, it's an absolute genocide. And and they think it's a justified genocide. And it, listen, 1,200 people is, I mean, it's it's beyond beyond the pale, you know. But there were, just to give you an idea, they were they've recovered 1,500 terrorist bodies. And so, it wasn't a small group of a few Hamas cells. This was, this was a massive. A well-organized event, and think about when it happened. Mm-hmm. Like the Yom Kippur War, this came on Sukkot, the last day of Sukkot, which mm-hmm. is a holiday mm-hmm. in Israel. Uh, secondly, it came on Shabbat. It came on the Sabbath, mm. and it was fifty years from the Yom Kippur War, which Israel won. And so, if people say, "Wow," You know, was this planned? Are you are you kidding me? <laughs> oh yeah, is it ever planned? This this was really well planned, and it caught Israel asleep because it was a holiday. It was the Sabbath. They had no early warning that they knew of, mm-hmm. and so the first ones to get it when they um, they used um, earth movers to to go through the fence. They sent drones over. To, most people don't know this. They sent drones over to fry the cameras. And so that way they were able to push through. And they came through the fence. They came through tunnels. They came through hang gliders. And they came by sea. Hmm. So it was massively coordinated. And the, and they knew where they were going. And for some of them, the first place to go were the various kibbutzim, the Israeli quote-unquote collective farms and they're not communists, but they're more socialistic. And that's the foundation of the farming agrarian community. It is Israel started in 1948. And so these were people that were living near the border. They were there partly because a lot of them wanted to make friends with Arabs and to be more, more ironic and, and reconciled uh, to Palestinians. Uh, a lot of them the early ones who died were people who were heavily involved in reconciliation and peace movements with Palestinians. It's pitiful. It's just so, totally pitiful. But but they didn't have guns with them. You know, the guns were probably in the armory, and they they swept in the terrorists, and they they couldn't get to the army armory. So a few people, you know, had guns and maybe shot. But but again. The, <laughs> They started killing babies. They started killing elderly people. They killed, obviously, unarmed people. And, uh, you know, I, I could, t- just a quick story, Bill, if I may. Chosen People Ministries in Israel is called Beit Sar Shalom. We have different names in different countries. This means the house of the Prince of Peace. And, of course, it's the Prince of Peace is one of the four Hebrew couplet names that are found in Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and 7. We know it from, of course, from uh, the Messiah mm-hmm. and uh, and so on. And so the house of the Prince of Peace. So we're 
We're a peace-loving, Jesus-loving uh, ministry in Israel of about 30 strong. And one of the ministries that we've had that's been really beautiful is we've been ministering to elderly Holocaust survivors. Most of them are Russian Jews. They came over during perestroika, a lot of them. They were kids and teenagers at the most uh, when, the Holocaust, when they escaped the Holocaust. And I've spent many, many nights and times with these folks and heard the stories of how they escaped from the Nazis and so on. And then they finally got a chance during perestroika to, to come to their beloved Israel. <laughs> they had very little Jewish identity and religion because that was squeezed out of them by the communists. But they knew they were Jews and they had a great hope. And once they could get to Israel, I mean, they wanted to get out of Russia, but wow, to be able to get to Israel and start a whole new life over in a Jewish country, this was magnificent. So we've been having a ministry to these dear, precious people. And one of the places we've had ministries there is in Sederot, which was one of the first towns that came under attack. And it was fierce and uh, many, many people were killed there. And then another one was deeper into Israel, in the southern part, near Beersheba, a town called Ofakim, O-F-A-K-I-M. And that's a town of 35,000 people, a lot of Russian Jews, some Orthodox Jews, a few secular Jews. But we've had a really wonderful ministry among Russian Jewish Holocaust survivors in Ofakim. Well, after the dust settled just about a day, um, we found out that five of the very elderly, 85 to 95 very elderly Jewish people that we were ministering to were really horribly murdered. I don't want to even talk about it. Mm -hmm. They were horribly murdered. And a sixth one is still missing. And I think he was in his nineties. And so it's possible that he's been abducted and uh, like 150 other Israelis were abducted. And so this was really personal for us, Bill, really mm -hmm. personal. And to, to even imagine that there's anyone on planet Earth other than Hitler himself who would murder in gruesome detail, um, who would murder people like this. It's just, it's, they just have part of, I'm not saying this is everybody who's a Muslim at all, but they, these groups have no, they have no respect for human life. No, clearly. Hmm. All right, Mitch, let me take a little break. Dr. Mitch Glazer is my guest. He is the president of Chosen People Ministries. I highly recommend heading over to Chosen People Ministries. And you can not only pray, but you can give if you are so led to do so. We'll take a break and be right back with Mitch. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mitch Glazer is my guest. He is the president of Chosen People Ministries in New York, and he has um, a real heart for the Jewish people as he has spent his whole life reaching uh, them for Christ. And I so admire uh, not only his work, but his love for Jesus and his love for the Jewish people. And right now we're all suffering, Mitch. And as you know, um, we want to do everything we can, starting with prayer and how are you praying personally? How are you going about petitioning the Lord? 
Well, of course, I'm I'm praying for uh, our staff because some of them were called up and uh, a few of them are going to be on the front lines. If there's a uh, ground war in Gaza, Mm -hmm. that's where they're that's where they're going to go. Also, um, some of the children of staff member members are in were are in the IDF and uh, one of them is up north. And if the war is a two-front war, which it very well might be, then he will be called up. He will, well, he's a combatant. I mean, he's he's infantry. And so he will be in there. Uh, so number one, to pray for the chosen people staff. Uh, and, you know, when you add up all the children's and husbands and wives, you know, you probably have 75 people mm-hmm. from chosen people that are, there, and that's aside from the congregations we we plant and the people we minister to, and so that's you know I feel very, very deeply concerned about them, and, and you know there's not we say that there's six degrees of separation among Christians four or five maybe among Jews it's like one or two, <laughs> and so there's not anybody who hasn't lost somebody, mm-hmm. and uh, and one of the young men who grew up in our uh, young our uh, children's camps and particularly among Russian Jewish immigrant kids um uh, he was Daniel was just they just reported that he he died in mm. battle and so we've lost our, our our at least our first one and uh and there there will be more there's probably going to be hundreds of messianic Jewish Israelis who will be fighting mm-hmm. and if my brothers and sisters can pray for them and for their families, it's a bit selfish to ask for, but you know, they really, really need our prayers. Uh, secondly, pray that God will give us opportunities to minister. Uh, we still can't get into Sederot where we have a lot of people that we love and we don't even know, really, we don't know who's alive and who's dead. We have an idea, but uh, not totally because they're still trying to figure it out because nobody's allowed to really leave their homes at this point. Mm-hmm. So they are in a home or a shelter, you know, a bomb shelter because there's still missiles coming in and there's still the fear that uh, less and less uh, today, which is, I believe, day six, um, less and less that um, Hamas terrorists are disguised as Israeli police or soldiers because uh, that was happening quite a bit where they killed soldiers or policemen and put on their uniforms and then went house to house mm. and they opened the door, they shot him dead. And uh, so that, that, that's a problem. Uh, but pray, pray for uh, particularly these elderly Holocaust survivors. You know, when I started with chosen people 26 years ago, we may probably had 350, 400,000. And uh, now it's down probably below 70,000. And the average age is very old. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tight community. And, you know, we've started to see, you know, not a lot, but we've seen a few really come to faith uh, in, their, in their 70s and 80s. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And we want to pray for them. Um, pray for, I mean, the poor people of, in Gaza, you know, um, the non-combatants. Uh, Hamas doesn't care about them either. Wow. And so, you know, in fact, I sometimes correct people. It's not a, a war between Israel and the Palestinians or Jews and Palestinians. It's a war between um, 
Israelis and Hamas and sometimes some of the other Palestinian groups, of which there are quite a few. And but they all have that same worldview. And that's that those are the those are the people that we're fighting against. And so I say we should pray for the innocent Palestinians that are suffering in Gaza. And uh, and they will suffer because Israel's got to shut off some of the uh, gas and electricity because uh, we we they need to prepare the way for a war, just like any other army would do it. And that's why non-combatants are in such precarious position. Some are fleeing Gaza, uh, but there's not much nowhere to go. And it just I mean. That's a heartbreak. There are 150, maybe 200 um, uh, hostages still in Gaza. They're being used as human shields. And uh, the other day, yesterday, uh, the Hamas said, "For every house you bomb, we're going to kill one of your uh, one of the hostages." And of course, Israel can't stop bombing, you know. And and um, we can't have this happen again. Or next time it might be 2,000 Israelis that are killed. Mm-hmm. And by the way, a lot of people were killed in their sleep. And uh, and they just walked in and shot them. So those are those are some of the prayer requests. Um, we are we are all over the place. We're at army bases, we're at army gathering points with food, with all sorts of things that, that are needed right now, and we're giving some hot meals uh in in uh, down down near Tel Aviv, because it, you know, you get 360,000 new soldiers. It's not like you can feed them right away. Right. And so they've been hungry and, and, uh, and so we've been, we've been trying to help there. And of course, wherever we go, we, we try and pray with people and believe it or not, some of the Israeli soldiers are happy to pray. And, and so we're going to keep focusing probably on the humanitarian gate into the hearts and souls. And that's what's needed. You know, you know, you can't, can't witness to somebody when they're starving to death. And mm-hmm. so we have to be able to care for them. So that's what we're doing, Bill. If we, if people can pray for that, that would be great. I think we all stand in support of Israel and we all here at faith radio are um, distraught over what's happening and we're all eager to pray. And I know that many people are praying uh, regularly, nonstop for Israel. So, Mitch, it's really nice talking to you, and I'm sorry it's under these circumstances, uh, but it's it's nice to know um, how to pray and to be reminded to do so. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Bill, and thanks for your support and your prayers. Uh, amen. All right, we're going to take a little break. My guest today has been Dr. Mitch Glazer, and I recommend and encourage you to go to Chosen People's Ministries, Chosen People's Ministries, and you can learn more about what they do and how they serve, and please pray for them, and please pray for Israel and support however you can. We'll take a little break, and we will be right back.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. All right, it's time to learn. And our teacher today is Dr. Greg Heddington as we continue our fantastic study the book of Daniel, we're all the way up to Daniel chapter 9, which is an awesome chapter. Cannot wait to get into this. Greg, welcome back once again to the show. Thanks, Bill. Great to be here. And welcome to the 10th lesson in our study of Daniel as we look at the ninth chapter. We studied the first six chapters of Daniel, which describe miraculous stories of Daniel and his three buddies in Babylon as they continue to sing the Lord's song in a strange land where they are captives. They remain faithful to the Lord, and as God promises all of us, over and over throughout Scripture, He blesses those who put their trust in Him. Now, by contrast, the final six chapters take us behind the curtain, as it were. We read of Daniel in the presence of God who reveals mysteries to Daniel, which Daniel does not understand because they're all about the future historical events. But Daniel faithfully records them anyway, for which we are grateful. And even though the last six chapters of Daniel are often puzzling to us because they are prophetic, the book of Daniel should not be disturbing for anyone who puts their trust in the Lord. And it should be an inducement for all of us to spend time in the study of Scripture and prayer, since our spiritual life affects every moment of every day of our life here on earth. Now, if you're taking notes, Roman number one, prayer. We know from Scripture that when we are puzzled by the things of this world, the best recourse is always to pray. And sometimes the answers we receive when we listen are astounding. Daniel was a man of prayer, and in chapter 9, Daniel's 15-verse prayer to God on behalf of Israel is one of the most moving prayers in all of Scripture. As you might have observed by this point, if you read the book of Daniel carefully, following the events that occur in chronological order is not a primary concern for the author Daniel. I mean, if he had a good administrative assistant, the chapters would not have been placed, they would have been placed in better sequence historically. For example, we we do discover that chapter 9 occurs 11 years after the vision we read in chapter 8, And Daniel's now about 80 years old. But the facts are all true. According to historians, the year is about 539 B.C., and this is the infallible Word of God. And that's what we talk about every week. Now I'm going to speak about Daniel's prayer. We know that as he's reading one of the scrolls of the prophet Jeremiah, he comes across chapters 25 and 29 of Jeremiah. And he's astonished to discover that God has promised that he will return the Jews who were captive in Babylon back to their homeland in 70 years, from start to finish. They will go back. Now, what is exemplary to us is the humility with which Daniel confesses, number one, his sins, number two, the sins of his people, and number three, how Israel still needs to repent of of following other gods for the past hundreds of years. Now, if you want to read just one chapter from Scripture that speaks to what God expects from Israel, you cannot do better than reading Deuteronomy chapter 28. It clearly lays out Yahweh's plan for Israel when God tells Moses to say to his people, quote, 
If Israel faithfully obeys my commandments, then it will be blessed in every possible way. And then God describes those blessings to Moses for 14 incredible verses. Next, God tells Israel through Moses, But if you do not follow my commands, which will give you a joyful life, then things will not go well for you. And Moses goes on for a staggering 53 verses, Hmm. listing all the problems the Jews will have because they decide it's better to not follow the Creator, who knows exactly what we will give, uh, we will be given in life, which will be success and health and purpose in life. It's like a parent saying to their teenage child, if you eat good food, exercise, study in school, act with kindness and humility toward others, and trust in the Lord, you will discover purpose in life, and life will go better for you. But if you decide to ignore these suggestions and do whatever you feel like doing, ignoring the laws that are meant to protect you, then you will possibly end up in prison for the next 10 years, Hmm. and you are certain to struggle throughout your whole life. And as we know, often teenagers seem to respond with something like, "Eh, I think I'll do what I want and take a risk on the 10 years in prison. (laughs) Well, that's that's virtually the decision the Jews make Mm -hmm. again and again for hundreds of years. And it's Daniel who acts as their court-appointed lawyer because he takes their case on himself before the judge, that is God, because of his love for them. Daniel humbles himself as a sinner and pleads his case, asking for mercy. And just as Daniel finishes his prayer, Gabriel, one of only two angels whose name we know in Scripture, and the other angel is Michael, Gabriel appears to Daniel and tells him, God wants you to know that he has heard your prayer. I, as his messenger, will give you understanding of this vision Oh, and also, God wants me to tell you that he greatly loves you. I'm not making this up. Check it out in Daniel chapter 9, verse 23. Now, it would be nice to receive such a quick response to our prayers like that, but we pray in our time, and of course, God answers in his time. Gabriel promises that God will rescue this sinful people from their captivity, just as the Lord has delivered us from our spiritual captivity through the cross. Now, there are many views of the timing of the rescue if you read different commentaries, but do not let those different opinions obscure the obvious gospel truth, which is this one sentence, God will rescue us in the future and has already because Daniel's vision is ultimately about the gracious work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And Bill, we're studying the book of Daniel. Yeah, we are in chapter 9. If you just joined us, Dr. Greg Hennington is our teacher. And I always recommend getting a pencil and a notebook. It's always good to take notes. All right, Greg, let's continue. All right, well, I want to say one more thing about prayer before we switch topics. When we pray, I suggest we not just pray that the Lord bless us by fixing all our problems. Pray for the Lord to use us for His purposes and that He will show us what it is he wants us to do so that we accomplish with his help his ultimate plans. That's what it means to pray for his will to be done. I mean, we say it all the time in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to do his will for the joy, for the incredible gratitude we have for what Jesus has done for us 
and that we know him now as believers. Well, God gives us a a great responsibility, and we work in tandem with him. Remember this, we cannot do certain things without God's help. But God will not do certain things without us. Let me say it again. We cannot do certain things without God's help. But God will not do certain things without us. In other words, his plans will ultimately be achieved, but we are fortunate to be part of that. So we pray. How do we pray? Well, it's not a mystery. It's, it's a conversation with the Lord. As someone has said, pray as you can and not as you can't. Roman numeral two, a scriptural perspective on problems. I'm going to make a departure from the topic of prayer and talk about the subject of difficult times. I know that everyone has had, now has, or will have problems. That's life. Sometimes, like the prophet Daniel certainly must have thought during his 70 years of captivity in Babylon with his fellow Jews, sometimes we think, what is God doing about all these problems in the world, and especially in my life? I think that every time I look at the news. So how are we as believers to think about problems scripturally? One of my favorite playwrights, Neil Simon, once said, if you can go through life without experiencing pain, then you probably haven't been born yet. Well, that's true. Now, some of us have more difficult times in life than others, but Jesus realistically guaranteed that all of us will have troubles, whether or not we're good, moral people, when he said, In John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, there is a well-known pastor in the U.S. who, in spite of the promises that Jesus just said that we will have problems, this pastor has recently said it's no longer a good idea to teach God's commandments or teach about his final judgment in which he says, in which they will say, uh, God will reject those who and punish those who do not follow him. Now, now why does the pastor say we should not teach these things? He says in order to attract millennials to church, they should only hear about God's love, but not about his judgment or commandments, Hmm. because he believes millennials are too emotionally fragile to handle such uncomfortable scripture. Now, those of you who are millennials out there, what do you think about that statement? My response, to put it delicately, is this. That pastor is flat wrong. I've been thinking about what this pastor said, and I believe that the cruelest thing a believer could do to anyone is not to be honest with them. Tell them that they can live life and believe anything they like, because all roads lead to the same place. Now, I call that believing in the God of sentimentality. And if we do not teach that what we do in this life has consequences in eternity— then that would be as wrong as a mother or father who allows her child to just cross a busy street alone instead of telling the little child, now you will wait and we'll hold hands as we cross the street and we'll walk together. That's why Hebrews 12:6 states, God disciplines those whom he loves. J.I. Packer says this, Scripture does not teach that God will shield his loved ones from problems when God knows that we need problems to deepen our sanctification. Sanctification is just a $3 word that means to become spiritually mature. There's a play, also by Neil Simon, called Biloxi Blues. It's set in an army barracks in Mississippi, and there's a conversation between two soldiers. One is a Gentile, the other is Jewish. The Gentile says to the Jew, what is it with you Jews? You always have problems. 
I mean, in the whole history of your people, you have nothing but problems. The Jewish soldier replies, so what's wrong with problems? If you didn't have problems, the day would be over by 10 (laughs) a.m. Well, that's for sure. But what should be our attitude when we face difficult things? Roman numeral 2a, peace and authority. One of my favorite verses comes from Daniel, and it occurs during the vision God gives him, which we looked at last week. As you might recall, in the opening scene in chapter 7, Daniel has a vision in which four beasts appear before him, one after the other, representing, as we now know, different empires. There's the Persian, the Greek, the Roman, and the kingdom of God. And they're terrifying, and there's fear and confusion as these beasts run amok. It's always a strange word, I think, run amok. I've never heard it used apart from the word run, as in to run amok. Hmm. Well, sometimes our lives seem like they run amok with all the busyness we do. And in those moments, it's sometimes difficult to hear what God is saying. In this vision, in spite of the chaos and the scary animal visuals, when Daniel turns and looks at God, Bill, I guess we're going to have a cliffhanger because I think it might be time for a break. I think that's a good place to break, and I love a good cliffhanger. I have trained you well, or or you have <laughs> understood you so the power of radio. So when we come back, <laughs> we'll continue with our cliffhanger. Dr. Greg Heddington is our guest. We're continuing our study in the book of Daniel. We're in chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible open, we'll be right back. I love being back with my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington. We're continuing our study in Daniel, chapter 9. Greg, let's uh, get back to that cliffhanger you left us with. Yeah, Bill, today we are looking at the subject of prayer problems and our ultimate home in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel. The prophet Daniel and his Jewish brethren are spending 70 years of exile in the land of Babylon, and the year is around 539 B.C., Daniel's a man of prayer, and we look at some beautiful prayers which he prays on behalf of Israel. You'll want to read them for yourself later in chapter 9. He's encouraged when God sends the angel Gabriel to tell him that God has heard his prayers and his plans to rescue them from their captivity. Now, as we left off in the first half, Daniel's seen a strange vision of the future. It's terrifying with all kinds of animals. And then Daniel looks at God, and what does he see? God is calm. Here's what Scripture actually says. Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, the Ancient of Days took his seat. We're thinking, what seat is that? Well, it's the seat on his throne. It's remarkable. And now think about Jesus. Whenever we read of Jesus teaching in Scripture, what is his posture? He's sitting, whether on a hill or in a boat, he is seated as the people stand around him. In fact, the sign of a person of authority in ancient times is one who speaks while he is seated and the others stand around him. In this vision, kingdoms rise and fall and there's chaos all around. But the Ancient of Days, our loving Creator, is seated. He is large and in charge and he sits on his universal throne calmly. Now, we do anthropomorphize God, that is, we give him human characteristics, to help us imagine what we'd like to think he looks like, yet we know he does not look like anyone we know because he is eternal. Yet we do know his son, so we have a sense of who God the Father is like. But the point of the verse 
is God is not worried about chaos. It encourages me. He's never taken by surprise, never undecided, never in a panic about the world he's created. He does not have to worry about the upstate votes to find out whether or not he'll be elected God because he reigns forever. And Daniel is reminded in the latter chapters of his book that ultimate authority does not reside in the empires of Babylon, Persia, Greece, or Rome. Or in our day, we would probably say our authority does not rest in the United States or, or China or Russia or any other country. Instead, ultimate authority resides in the hands of the peaceful master of the universe. I like the words Isaiah gives us as well, which I need to remember during my chaotic times, when the prophet Isaiah says to God, on behalf of us, Isaiah 26, verse 3, you keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he or she trusts in you. And even as Yahweh has sovereign peace in the midst of disorder, he also wants his people to have the peace that passes understanding, because the Holy Spirit is with us every moment of our life. Roman numeral 2, B, justice. Let us always remember that God is a God of justice, and there is judgment in the end when the issue of those who put trust in the Lord is finally settled because if God does not rule righteously, then he would not be the God of justice. Rather, he would be the God of, let's call it, sentimentality. So I choose to trust the God of justice who fights for us. Our God of Scripture does not give us the message, don't worry, be happy. Rather, as God proclaims in Amos 5.24, one day he will right all wrongs. And let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. As you know, that was a favorite quotation, quoted by Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, I know we're puzzled when we read these things, these mysterious chapters about the end times. And it can be unsettling for some people. But I like the wisdom of Corey Ten Boom. I think we all remember Corey Ten Boom, who was able to escape from the Nazi concentration camp. Her sister died, but Corrie Ten Boom came out and was a tremendous author for the Lord. She says this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let me say this again. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I like that. And the more we study Scripture, the better we know Him and we trust Him. Roman numeral three, heroes. Now, I know it should not bother me, and I need to just see it as a consequence of the fall of humankind, but it never fails to bother me when I look at the type of people whom many people consider to be heroes. Now, we often rightfully honor those people in the military service, as well as police and firemen who make true sacrifices and risk their lives in order to help others. I mean, that is, that's right. That's correct. Those are real heroes. But so often, we also call people heroes who chosen to go into, let's say, sports or the arts in sometimes highly paid positions and also comes sometimes really for the adoration of the crowds. Now, let's look at a completely different type of hero. 
This hero is named Gabriel, who is one of the two angels mentioned by Scripture. Now, hold that thought about Gabriel for a moment as we do a brief etymological study on two letters. Now, etymology is simply the study of how words became the words that they are. So this is a brief lesson on the two letters, E-L, at the end of Hebrew words, what we refer to as a suffix. That's I'm an English major. I just have to let these things out occasionally. <laughs> but that's, that makes me laugh. That's what it is. So the, the suffix E-L in Hebrew and in our English words means God. E-L stands for God. For example, Bethel is a city in Scripture which means house of God. Israel means one who struggles with God, which certainly has been the case for the people of Israel. And that goes all the way back to the time when Jacob is struggling with his brother. And next week, we will meet the archangel Michael, whose name means one like God, which that's an extraordinary attribution. So those three names all end with the letters E-L, which stand for God. In a similar fashion, here's what I'm building up to. In a similar fashion, the angel Gabriel means either man of or hero of God. Can you imagine that? Hero of God. Wow. Now, that's the kind of hero I admire. And by the way, the Greek word for angel means messenger, as in messenger of God. So angels are really kind of a celestial FedEx delivery service. I mean, they come right from the throne of God. So Gabriel is a legitimate hero. Bill, we're still studying chapter 9 of Daniel. Yeah, I appreciate this. I, I love, Greg, the um, the ways in which you describe uh, even the angels. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's so helpful as we try to figure out our way through Daniel 9, because it's not an easy chapter to understand. You're doing a nope. really nice no, job of, of helping us get through it. Dr. Greg Heddington is our, our teacher today. Greg, let's, let's, just get, let's get back. We don't have a lot of time left. You bet. Roman numeral four, home. We read in Daniel about God sitting on his throne, peaceful, unheard, and an absolute authority who sends his messenger Gabriel to take the message to Daniel about how much he loves God. Now, when I read that passage, it calms me. I mean, we do not feel as alone, which we sometimes do, whether we're married or not, when we know the theme of Daniel, which has not changed from chapter one, even to this point. And the theme of Daniel is simply God is in control of everything. Now, what do you think when you hear the word home? I mean, a baseball player wants to get home to score a run, but mm-hmm. I think most people in the world have an idealistic view of what home should be like because we all need a place where we can feel safe and secure. Several times a year, um, a citizen of the, the U.S., uh, as citizens, we have the privilege to vote in elections, and it's an honor to do it. And although I think we live in the greatest of all countries, I think about the true citizenship for believers is mentioned by the Apostle Paul in Philippians three twenty to 21 when he writes, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, which means in a sense we've already entered the first step of heaven because Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth when he made his first trip, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven and from it, that is, that is from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the, the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now that's quite a promise. Our perspective of life does not come from what we see when everything looks like it's circling the drain. Our perspective comes from the throne of God, even as others claim they see life realistically. 
Yeah, we interpret life through God's ultimate perspective. That means as life really is from God's view. Now, we know our citizenship is in heaven for Christ. Followers is extraordinarily good for us. What tremendous news that is. Now, it's a little story. It's hard for me to believe it that um, it's been this long, but my mother died 11 years ago at the age of 90. She was a committed Christ follower her whole life. In fact, was, was a small group Bible leader. She loved to travel and visited many countries, which often involved ministry. And the year before she died, one of her friends said to her, I know you've taken all the trips you want to take. Of all the trips you've been on, what was your greatest trip? Without missing a beat, my mom replied, I haven't been there yet. Oh, I love it. But we know what mom was talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill, I ended with a story. A uh, hundred years ago, there was a, a missionary who went overseas and came back to America in the New York Harbor, and uh, nobody was there to greet him. But there was a celebrity on, on deck, and everybody came out to show their love for this person that wanted to see him. And here this missionary is thinking, I've given my life's blood for the seed of the gospel, and no one's here. He began to sink into a wave of self-pity, and then he realized, as a, a voice clearly spoke to him, said, do not be discouraged. You have not reached your home. And friends, that's what we're talking about. In the end, we will have a home, and it's going to be everything we ever hoped for and prayed for. And Bill, I Amen. think that's enough for today. Amen. Thank you so much, Greg, for being on the show once again. Look forward to our next teaching. Dr. Greg Headington has been our guest. We'll take a short break and be right back with Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.